0: Ephesians chapter 3 in your Bibles. And uh, I'm telling you, this message is about the love of God. And it's a two-part message. I don't think I'm going to get it finished today. I'm not going to rush it. I have got under a lot of conviction preparing this message. And uh, I hope in a very kind way you get under as much conviction as I did because it's a blessing to be convicted of your need to love the way God loves It is a wonderful, wonderful conviction. It's a very good thing to watch in your own life. And I hope you're blessed by this message and helped and encouraged by this message. Because last week, uh, we spoke about Paul's mission and was to let the secret out, to reveal the mystery of the church. Jews and Gentiles, bond and free, individuals from diverse backgrounds and ethnicities, ethnicities, gathered together as one with one heart and one mind. I love that. That's the church. To Paul, the revelation of this secret was worth sharing, worth showing, and worth suffering for. He was in prison when he wrote this. That's how much it meant to him. Paul reveled in the fact that God is able to bring irreconcilable enemies together to have the sweetest of fellowship. His desire to broadcast it drove him to the knees, to his own knees, should I say, for the Ephesians, that they would want peace between God and man, and between men of different backgrounds. But that was just the beginning. Paul laid a foundation for that in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, and the beginning of chapter 3. But there's so much more to our faith than that. Brethren, I want to tell you something God is so much more than reconciliation. At the cross. You know, there's so many Christians that make first base. I don't know if you're familiar with baseball. But when I was a kid, we didn't play baseball. We played rounders. How did we, how did we play rounders when they were kids? We all played, we all played rounders, yeah. We all did ad nauseum yeah, with a tennis racket and a tennis ball. And that's what we did. But you know what? When we got to face, you know, we all would get to, 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 to the first base. And we would rejoice we got to first base. And, you know, but the thing is, you don't win the game by sticking stuck at first base you got to make second base, third base, and then you make the home run, right? You make it all the way back. Then you get the rounder for your team. I'm using rounders because we don't play baseball in this country. But we, but we, we make the whole round, and, and you and you do it. There's so many Christians stuck on first base. And they're rejoicing. they rejoice, and they make the first place. Praise the Lord, I got saved, I'm part of a church, and there's people from all over the world in the church, and they're just stuck on first base, and they're not moving. You don't win the game by being stuck on first base. You're going to go all the way around. Are you with me here? And Paul asked the question, and I'm going to re-ask the question to you, do you attain to the fullness of God? Do you attain to the fullness of God? That's going all the way around. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, and maybe at the end of my prayer, so we might have a glass of water for me, it'll be wonderful. Ephesians 3, verse 14, Paul said this, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth all knowledge, which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Thank you so much. Now unto him, that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power which worketh in us. Uh, Unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. We amen your word. Because we know it's true. We amen your word because we want it. Lord, lead us there. Please lead us to the place where we're supposed to be at. Lead us to a place where we're filled with the fullness of God. Show us how to get there, Lord. Open up your word to us this morning, Lord. Let it not just be rhetoric this morning. Let it not just be informational this morning. Let it be truth that goes deep in our hearts, that causes us to rejoice in our salvation all the more, and causes us to want to know more about this precious salvation that you want for us on the cross. In Jesus' precious name, amen. The first thing, Paul prayed this prayer as he sought the Ephesians to be attained unto the fullness of God. And the first thing he prayed for, number one, he prayed for Ephesians to be strengthened. He prayed for them to be strengthened. There's a six-point message. I'm not going to get it done this morning. I'm not going to rush through this. It's too good. But the first thing Paul prayed for is that that the Ephesians would be strengthened. Look at verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened. We're going to stop there for a second. He wanted the believers to be strengthened each one of us, when we came to Christ, we came to Him when we were weak, and we came to Him because we were weak. We were weakened by temptations. We were weakened by sin. We were weakened by trials. We were weakened by afflictions. The world has a way of grinding you down, doesn't it? We were sheep without a shepherd, sinners in need of a Savior. We were depraved. The Bible says, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were incapable of pleasing God, Romans 8 tells us, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And that's where we were at, depraved, weak, unable to please God, and we knew it in our hearts, that's when we came to Christ. Romans 5 verse 6 tells us when we were yet without strength. Aren't you glad that Christ died for the ungodly? In due time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ didn't die for righteous people. He didn't come to call righteous to himself. He he came to call sinners to repentance. Aren't you glad about that? I'm glad he came for this sinner. I'm glad he died for this ungodly man. I'm glad that Jesus Christ died on the cross for all my sins. Not just some of them. I'm glad that I wasn't a righteous person because my righteousnesses are as filthy rags and insides and there's nothing I can do in my flesh to please God. I come with nothing to the table. But I'm glad that Jesus Christ came with everything to the table, aren't you? I'm glad he died for me on the cross. But brethren, I want to say something very clearly. Just because we're saved doesn't mean all of a sudden we're strong. There's this deception that's been going around for years. Once you get saved, you're strong in the Lord. No, you're not. You're weak. And one young missionary came to, spoke to an evangelist. Words break wisdom when he said, you know, I've realized I'm weak and I'm always going to be weak. That is true. God works with weak people. He doesn't work with strong people. He's no interest in strong people. Because strong people have their own strength and they don't need God. Strong people are are self-sufficient. They don't need the Lord. But when you're weak, like I am, and like you are, you know you need God, and you're at a wonderful place in your life. We don't like being there. I think I'd rather feel strong, wouldn't you? But God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, isn't it? We're weak. Brethren, I want to tell you, we're still weak, and I wish it wasn't true, but we still have struggles. Don't we? And that's why Paul prayed for the believers in Ephesus to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Each one of us came to Christ very weak. We need to be strengthened in the inner man, that's what we read in verse sixteen, that he might strengthen you with might by his spirit in the inner man. What is this inner man? This phrase the inner man is only used once in scripture, right here in verse sixteen. It obviously refers to the new man, mentioned in chapter 2, if you look just across the page, verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Now that's a lot in there. And you say, hey, I want to simplify it, I'll look to the Greek. Nope, it says the same in the Greek. (laughs) Okay. Well, it basically means that God abolished the flint in, in his flesh, the enmity. We were enmity. We were at enmity with God. We were enemies with God. But Christ died on the cross and broke that enmity. He abolished it. And the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances because we broke all God's laws uh, for to make himself of, twain, of two, one new man. We're one in Christ now, amen? Because of the blood that was spilt on the cross. So the Bible calls us as both having a new man and an inner man. Inner man, verse 16 of chapter 3. New man, chapter 2, verse 15. The old man was without Christ, chapter 2, verse 12. That at time past, you were without Christ. The aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise having no hope. We were hopeless. We were hopeless cases. Without God in the world, that's what we were before we got saved. The old man was without Christ, the new man is in Christ, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. We, we, we're, we're in Christ, we were without Christ, now we're in Christ. The old man was alienated from God, we already read about that in verse 12. But the new man is near him, it says here, are made nigh by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Christ, verse 13. So there's a massive difference between the old man and the new man. We were born with the old man. We were born with this nature that, honestly, God hates. Rebellious nature. Stubborn nature. Hard-hearted nature. Cold nature. We were born that way. Born alienated from God, born with clouds between us and the Savior, but born with chasms between us and and the Lord. But Christ died on the cross and he took that bridge of the cross and he made a way between us and and, and, and his Father. And we're now drawn nigh and we're made one with him. The old man was separated by barriers. But the new is united with him. Look at verse 14. For he is our peace. We're chapter 2. For he is our peace who had made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us. My wife and I uh, took over my, par- my parents' house. And I think most of you know the story. And there was a dad had these bedrooms down small, downstairs. And every room was pretty much a box room. Well, if we're taking over the house and we're going to gut it and renovate it, and that's exactly what we did. I mean, we did everything windows, central heating, gutted the whole place. And there was a wall between two bedrooms, and it's just like, let's break it down and make it one. And while we're having it, let's rob the, the, the ensuite from the guest bedroom and then <laughs> take that one in as well. And the guest bedroom can use the main bathroom. We figured it all out. But I want to tell you something the middle wall partition is gone we have one room. And it's a blessing to have space. I like having space. There's this space because that middle wall of partition is gone. And folks, I want to tell you something. We were caught restricted, constricted, stuck, uh, squashed, uh, compressed away from God. But he broke away that middle wall of partition. <laughs> Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, verse 15, continued ordinances for to make in himself of two, two, one new man, and he made peace. So the old man had barriers with God. The new man is united with him. God is not offended with us the way he used to be. If you've been saved, that offense has been lifted. If you have not been saved and you're a really nice person, and I know a lot of really nice unsaved people, but being really nice is not going to get you there. And if you're, if you're a really nice person, you still have that barrier. You're still in an enmity with God, and God. You have a nature that God hates because it's filled with sin. But the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to give you a brand new nature. It's called being born again. And if you repent of your sin, you put your faith in the blood of Jesus so was shed on the cross, he will break down that middle wall partition and you'll have access to God. It's a tremendous blessing. And you'll be united with God. And this new man that God will give you, this new, you a new creature in Christ, this new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. Look at chapter 4, verse 24. It says, And ye put on the new man, which after God was created in righteousness and true holiness.
1: Brethren, we have this new
0: nature. We have this new man, we have this inner man, and you'd think that life would be wonderful, and you'd love to think that the, what the people said was true. You ask Jesus Christ into your heart, you ask Him to forgive you; He'll give you this brand new life, and you'll never look back, and everything will be great. You'd love to think that that was really true, but it's not. Sometimes life can even get harder. Just be honest with you, because we're in a battle. And there's such a pull in all of our hearts to go the wrong way, back to the old way, go back to the old man. So we have this old man, we have this inner man, and there's this battle going on, and who's going to win today? We don't always respond as we should, do we? That's why we need strength. We don't always do the things we ought to do. We don't always respond as we should and that's why Paul said in Romans chapter 7 O wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of the death but chapter 8 then is the victory chapter I'm glad that chapter 8 is in the Bible because I wouldn't like to get stuck in chapter 7 would you but we need to be strengthened in this inner man and brethren this strengthening can only happen by the spirit look at verse 16 we're back in chapter 3 look at verse 16 it says here that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. They that are in the flesh can be very good neighbors. I've had lots of very good neighbors, all unbelievers, very good neighbors, but they can't please God. They can please me. They can be blessing to me. They can't please God. But the Bible says in verse 16, each one of us needs to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. The Spirit of God has to do a work in our lives to make us right with God. And the Spirit of God then, when we're right with God, when we get get saved, should I say, He needs to keep strengthening us because we keep feeling our weakness. We're all weak. We need that strengthening. Now, if you want to get strong, you've got two options. Number one, you can go to the gym, or else you can come up to my house, I've got lots of work for you to do. (laughs) (laughs) We just had a, I've told you so many times about the tree and our neighbors who I love, our our next door neighbors who are just wonderful, wonderful neighbors, and they they cut down like all these trees along our boundaries, our shared boundaries, such a (laughs) blessing to see them go. When you saw them go, you met the neighbors. You know, really helps with a few trees as well. It was just such a blessing, but, the, but just those trees are gone. But I have all these other trees around our boundary fence, and it's like, I hate them. I hate trees. I just don't like trees. I don't need the oxygen. I don't need the carbon credits. I don't need all any of that stuff. I don't care if the temperature of our goes up by one degree. Yeah. I want those trees gone. <laughs> Sorry if I offended anyone by that. But the Bible does talk about global warming. but well, I won't talk about it today. Not today. But the point is this. Those trees and I pray or please send someone to, 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 to break down to get through those trees. And I found a sucker. He's a JCB operator. And uh, he came in and he cut down all those trees. We agreed a price. I saw him yesterday. I haven't paid him yet. He trusts me. I don't know why he trusts me. But anyway, <laughs> j- that's a job. Yeah, I should be trustworthy. I'm a Christian, right? But anyway, so I I, I told him, yeah, let's figure out getting payment. So we talked about that, because he's going to Australia tomorrow for a month. He's gonna have a great time. And and I and my rain, the rain came down destroyed our lane, absolutely destroyed our lane. I said, Can you come up and fix our lane? He came up yesterday, he says, because I'm gone on Monday. I said to you, you need to work and earn your right to go away in holidays, you know? And <laughs> so he did some work for us on the, the lane. So we had a bit, bit of a laugh with him on that. But he said to me i'll never do those trees again he said the next time so his his, his workers he said they fell from Tipperary, and he had to make them work they, they were caught in the field with a sludge and the muck trying to get through chopping down all those trees and all that type of stuff and he, he says the next time somebody offers you a job in your know, trees like that just make the price so high he, he can't afford it <laughs> he said to me i'll never do that job again i said his, his, his name is, is um, sean i said sean you're just being a blessing to me, you know? And he's smiling, you know, we had a great chat. But the point is, those trees are now gone, Christ the Lord. <laughs> I'm so excited those trees are gone. But there's a lot of work to be done, hard work. If you want to work hard, I'll give you a job to do. But there's another place where you can work out. It's called the gym. And if you want to work out in the gym, you if you want to get physically strong, should I say, you want to work out in the gym and you want to pick up those weights, and you push yourself, and you push yourself, and you have to work through something called what? Pain. You've got to work through pain. You You don't give up. And you know what? There's there's a strength that happens in our body when we go to the gym, and you work through the pain, and you don't give up. But brethren, I want to tell you something. There's something so much more important than going to a gym to physically uh, strengthen yourself. It's called spiritual strengthening. I'd love to tell you that Christians would go to the spiritual gym, so to speak, but they, but, but they do go to the gym, they look at the weights, and they run away again. <laughs> I can never lift that, and they're out of there. Not realizing that they could work their way up from the 10 kilos to the 20 kilos to the 30 kilos so they can lift heavier. If you want to get spiritually strong, you've got to go to Jesus. He's the one that strengthens you with might by his spirit in the inner man. But I want to tell you something. He's going to put you through trials. You need those weights. You need to push yourself. And he's going to train you and he's given us his spirit. Are you with me here this morning? His Holy Spirit is your personal trainer. And I want to tell you something. If you want to go to the gym, if you're going to go to the gym and you don't lift something up quite right, I've got all this experience about the gym. Never been there in my life. But anyway, but I do know... If you lift something up quite, when I was a teenager, I was a dumb show off, and we were lifting up these these, you know, these, uh, cement, you know, bags of cement, I think it was 50 kilos, I'm not sure. And I had this really dumb idea of putting the two on my shoulder. Yeah, yeah, exactly, I lift up and put them on. I didn't back in. There was a team come over from the States, I was a teenager, and we were playing football. You always like to play the Americans for football, because they're useless at football. You're running rings around them. But I was walking around like this, around the pitch. I was walking around. And, then, and, then, and then, I, I remember them going back to a friend's house. Went back to the friend's house, slept overnight, it was a dundrum, and I slept on the ground wherever we slept, and I couldn't get up again. I said, Scott, I can't get out of bed. And uh, Scott, my in was. I said, Scott, I can't get out of bed. He said, let me help him. Scott went to the gym himself, he lifted me up, and I fell down again. <laughs> I had to call an ambulance. But I know if you lift up the wrong way, you do your back in. Are you with me here this morning? No point in showing off. You need to listen to the personal trainer. Are you with me here? God has given us a personal trainer to work out spiritually, and he's the Holy Spirit. Are you with me here this morning? We need to listen to him. Brethren, I see God's precious children, and they're wonderful Christians, and they can endure for a while, but they're not listening to the Spirit, and so they give up when they come to the next wave. Why should we give up when we can walk in victory? Paul prayed for the believers to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Brethren, we need some spiritual muscle. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. If we need some spiritual muscle, we're going to have to go to the spiritual gym and go through every trial and every testing and every challenge with the Lord because we can't do that our own. We need to really get that down. Now, I'm preaching to myself this morning. I don't know if you know about that. Sometimes, sometimes, um, uh, it's hard, sometimes when you're preparing messages, you start thinking of people, you know, God took that message and he used it to me. used it upon me, should I say. And just said, Les Hill, you need this. You need what I'm telling you this morning. The Lord knows us. He knows what we need. And Paul prayed that the Ephesians would get all the strength that they need. Paul prayed for them to be strengthened. But secondly, this is a six-point message. Not a hope, to get through it this morning. I just want to be here for two, two hours. Number two, Paul prayed for them to be conscious of Christ. Look at verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Brethren, the more you experience the strengthening of the Lord, the more you're conscious of Him. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, if we go to a spiritual dream and God brings us to all those trials, and all those challenges, and says, okay, I want you to lift up this 10 kilo, okay, you did well, do the 20, do you ever see those, those uh, videos, I think they're really funny, and uh, see this guy, if you can lift up this, I'll give you a thousand euros, and you see this guy, and these big strong guys, and, and, and they can't lift, it's actually really funny to look at, you know, because, I don't know, you must have a really good grip, or something like that, but the Lord does that with us. He says, okay, you've done the light like do weight. now do the next one, now do the next one, and it's like we balk at it. But when we stop balking at it and we stop running away from the trials and we stop running away from what God's doing in our lives, we start being more conscious that the Spirit of God is actually doing a work in our lives. Because when we're going to the mill, when we're in the spiritual gym, it hurts. Tearing muscle actually hurts. hurts. I remember playing football for for an hour and a half. I play for football now for two hours, but it's five a side, and I can, I can go into goals, and it's a whole lot better going in goals. Collins, you know all about doing injuries in football. I do as well, I get it. I know about ripped tendons and all that type of stuff. I know about doing these exercises where you stand on this foot, and you do this, that, and the other, and it's, you know, it's just like, what's this all about? But I can walk again, praise the Lord, it works. I know all about it, but I want to tell you something. When I was playing eleven-a-side football in a full pitch, I remember doing ninety minutes of that, and I was knackered if I can use an Irish phrase. And the next day, we used to live in—we uh, used to live the church used to live in Winternethir. It's like you and Giovanni. You remember, remember I Remember having to climb up those steps? I groaned and screamed on every step. It hurt so much. <laughs> Folks, I want to tell you something that sometimes working out is so challenging spiritually and so difficult. But when you're going through it, you're thinking of Christ all the time. You with me here? Because you're going through with Him. Now, Paul prayed that they that Christ may dwell in their hearts by by faith, that they would be conscious of Christ. What do you expect of someone who's conscious of Christ? What do you expect? I think you'd expect someone who's conscious of Christ to have some conviction. In other words, someone who has conviction doesn't belittle sin. The Bible says fools make a mock at sin, so someone who's conscious of Christ doesn't, doesn't, doesn't tell inappropriate jokes, doesn't, mock about, doesn't laugh about their old life. In fact, someone who's conscious of Christ, would I would say, would be ashamed of their old life. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah. They don't talk about that. They don't talk about false doctrine and laugh about it. They don't talk about stuff uh, that, that they shouldn't talk about. That, neither do they excuse sin. They don't make excuses. If, if they got sin in their lives, they don't make excuses. If they're conscious of Christ, they're like, yeah, you're right. I know there are times when somebody's pointed out something wrong in my life, and I haven't had the right response. But I can guarantee I wasn't conscious of the Christ at that very moment in time. But I also am aware when somebody's pointed out something in my life, in my life that I did have the right response. And I'd say that was when I was conscious of Christ. I think you would think that someone, you would expect someone who's Christ-centered and conscious of Christ, they would would make Christ-centered choices. Jesus said regarding his father, he said, I do always those things that please him. Brethren, the mantra of so many is, I do those things which please me. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like it, that's why I do it. It makes me feel good. Well, there's a lot of people that do a lot of stuff that makes them feel good and is blatantly sinful and blatantly wrong. That's not the right, that is not the right uh, plumb line. That is not the right way to judge whether something's right or wrong how you feel about it. In fact, I would say the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately what? So I think we understand that's not the right way. The word of God shows us the right way. And brethren, I want to tell you something. Sometimes doing the right thing feels awful. Am I right? And you feel guilty doing the right thing, because sometimes you have to say the right thing to people, and they don't take it the right way, and you feel horrible inside. I'm not gonna ask how many people in here feel that way, because everybody would raise your hand. You've been through it. We've all been through it. It's called working with people. Could be your children, could be your your parents, could be people, your family members. We've all been there. Sometimes do what's right, feel bad. But it's not bad, it's right. And somebody who is conscious of the presence of Christ makes the right decisions because they're thinking, what would Jesus do? What does Jesus want me to do? I know it's hard. I don't want to do it, but I want to please him. Are you with me here this morning. Paul prayed that for the Ephesians, that they would be strengthened with might by his Spirit and that Christ would dwell in their hearts by faith. They would be thinking about Jesus as they made decisions. I wish the precious people of God would make decisions based on what Jesus would want them to do rather than what they want to do. I wish they would because so many have made decisions that have hurt them so badly and it breaks my heart. And you know what I'm talking about. You have loved ones who have done the same thing. You know what we're talking about. It breaks your heart. Paul earnestly prayed that the Ephesian Christians would experience this Christ dwelling in their heart. So often, the biggest problem we face, I think, is apathy. The devil really wants us to grow cold, doesn't he? He doesn't mind it. Okay, we're saved now. He, if, you, if you've repented and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the devil can't change that. But he'd be glad to see you become apathetic and do nothing with your salvation. Would you agree with that? He wants that. We can so easily and too easily forsake our first love, or we can take it for granted. Sometimes, we see that with children, they take the love of their parents for granted. And they they do things that they shouldn't do because they know their parents love them. And they abuse that love. You with me here this morning? I think we do that as Christians at times too, don't you think? We abuse the love of God. And I want to ask you the question, honestly, are you, in every decision you make, are you conscious of Christ? Are you conscious of making decisions that please Him? A lady came into this building to use the toilet a few days ago. And uh, of course, you don't want me standing around the toilet to give her a gospel tract. So I tried to make myself look busy and walk up the stairs up here just to, but I wanted to make sure she left a little leaflet. And I said, uh, here's a leaflet. And I tried to talk to her a little bit about the Lord. And she says, have you got a Bible? So I live another revival and she says, uh, she said to me, "Um, how'd you word, is this about my daddy in heaven? I was just like, how do I answer that question? (laughs) What is she thinking? I said it's about Jesus. Yes, no, I don't call him Jesus, I call him my daddy in heaven. And she kept going on about her daddy in heaven. Now, theologically, she's not quite accurate because it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not daddy. He's the, the Father's daddy. Are you with me here? Jesus is the Son, and we're talking, talking theology, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity, okay? Now, she didn't quite get that. But one thing I appreciated was there was a consciousness of God. She may not have had it quite doctrinally correct, but there was a consciousness of God. I wonder how many of us are conscious of the Lord. She wanted to receive a leaflet, but she wanted to know it was about Jesus, and she called him by the wrong name, but that's what she was doing. In the ancient hymn, traditionally attributed to St. Patrick, it was poetically written, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ at my right hand, Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. I would say Patrick was conscious of the presence of Christ, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. I would say Paul was conscious of the presence of Christ, and he wanted the Ephesians to be conscious of the presence of Christ. So tomorrow I tell you, this morning God wants us to be conscious of his presence. So often people only get conscious of Christ when tragedy strikes or when they're on their deathbed. But I think we should be conscious of him all the time, don't you? I think we should desire to be strengthened with his might, by his spirit, and we should be thinking of him. And it's not like you're always thinking Jesus all the day. I understand we have life and we have to interact with people. But there should be a general consciousness of Christ in everything we do. Paul prayed for them to be strengthened, to be conscious of Christ. And finally, for this morning, Christ, Paul, sorry, Paul prayed for the, 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 to, 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 for the Ephesians to know his love. Look at verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye be rooted and grounded in love. You know, man is seriously motivated by all sorts of things. Some are motivated by wanting to be number one in the world. Now, I watched that. I learned from it. I, 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 I like competition. I just do. So when I saw Cristiano Ronaldo, cr or seven, as he likes to be known as, in his older days, he's not there anymore. He's passive. Don't tell him I said that. He might be offended. But anyway, but in his older days, he was actually a very, very good footballer, and he was motivated by wanting to be world's number one, and his, his arch rival was always... Messi. Messi, we know that. Who he really He's is number one? Yeah, who is he? he really, just is. Yes. Messi is just natural. It just the way it is. Good thing you exactly. do about that. But I think of football. I think about football. I also think about running, and I think of the uh, same bolts. I love to watch him run. I love to see him sprint. And he was always motivated by he wanted to be number one in the world, and he was. Some are motivated by wanting number one, some are moti- motivated by overcoming challenge and fear. Nick Wallenda is an absolute nutcase, but boy, is he impressive to watch. I remember watching him walk across a 1,500-feet 1500 gorge, 1500 gorge of the Grand Canyon, and he was on a tightrope, and because people said, oh, you went across Niagara Falls with a harness, uh, that doesn't count. He went across the, Ni- the, the Grand Canyon with no safety harness 30 mile an hour winds. I've never seen a man pray so hard in all my life. If you watch the video, he's saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's crying out to the Lord to make sure he doesn't fall. I wouldn't blame him. Nutcase. Motivated by oh, I, I mean in a kind way by the way. <laughs> it's impressive to watch. I say that because I never knew in a billion years, but I even tried, I wouldn't even step out by one foot, let alone 1,500 foot. But anyway, he he was he was motivated by fear and he was motivated by the challenge. Some of our young people want to do the zipping track in Galway or wherever it is. Nope, I will not be doing it. I am not motivated by fear. I'm not motivated by the challenge. You can do it. Some are motivated by uh, revenge. But, brethren, the greatest motivation there is is love. The love of Christ brought him to the cross. The love of Christ motivated motivates all his followers to preach the message of the gospel in the face of persecution and death. It is love that causes strangers to donate severe serious amounts of money for us to have a building. Strangers who never walk into this building donating thousands. Why? Not because they have more money than you or me, but because they love Jesus. It's love. It's love that causes... Believers to step outside their comfort zones and go to Lucan Village and pass out leaflets when it's not natural. You tell me who in here feels it's natural for them to pass out leaflets to strangers. I don't think anybody fits in that category. It's love that causes people to do these things. Man is seriously motivated by all sorts of things, but the Ephesians need to be motivated by the love of Christ, and not only motivated by the love of Christ, but, by, but to be rooted in the love of Christ. Verse 17, that Christ made dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Now let's talk about being rooted and grounded. A tree cannot survive without its root system. By the way, those root systems for our trees is no good anymore because the trees are gone. Amen, that's exciting for me. But the roots anchor the tree in the soil, keeping it stable. The roots absorb water from the soil, keeping the tree nourished. Tree roots also take nutrients and chemicals out of the soil and use them to produce what they need for the tree's growth, development, and repair. That's what roots do for trees. The love of Christ is our root system. It's the root system for every Christian. His love anchors us into the ground and causes us to stand firm. No matter what comes our way, we can endure it if Jesus is with us. His love nourishes us, it develops us, it repairs us, it strengthens us. And that's why we cannot be just spiritually strengthened. We can't just be conscious of Christ. We need to be rooted and grounded in love. Brethren, there are too many nominal Christians. And may I most respectfully say, it's a bit pointless to be a nominal Christian. It really is. If all we are is Christian in name only, it means nothing. It might mean something to you, but to everybody else it means nothing. If it's not a religion of the heart, it means nothing. We don't just need a religion of the head, we need a religion of the heart. If it's not a religion that changes everything about you and everything you do, it means nothing. If Christianity doesn't transform you and make you like Jesus, then it's not Christianity at all. And the only way you can be transformed and be made like Jesus is if you're strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, you're conscious of Christ that he dwells in your heart by faith, and you're rooted and grounded in love. Brethren, it's the love of Christ that spread the faith in the first century. And it's for lack of love that's not being spread where it should be in the 21st century. Would you agree with that? Yeah. That's why we need the love of Christ. The love of Christ will get you out of your comfort zone. The love of Christ will cause you to do things you think you thought were never never possible. The love of Christ will will cause you to to love the unlovable and invest in what you think are the uninvestable. Now, can I say, carefully say, you can't invest in someone who doesn't want investment? You can't. If people don't want what you have, you can't help them. But you can love them. God has called us to love. And you know what? Maybe those people who don't want you to invest in them, maybe sometime later will turn around and say, you know what, I want you to invest in now. And you're you're always there because you love them, right? You're there because you love them. It's it's the love of God that causes people to give up their career path. We live in an age where we can't find pastors, can't find missionaries. Get them from America, Philippines, different countries, can't find them in Ireland. But the love of God will cause young people to say, I don't want my career path. I don't want, what I, I could be a doctor or a surgeon or this or that and the other, but the but love of Christ drives me to do more with my life than that. I want to help people spiritually. I thank God for the doctors that are out there. I thank God for the surgeons out there. I thank God for the solicitors and bowers. And whatever you want to say are those career paths that people have. But I have my purpose. I want to love them. I want to help people spiritually. I want to meet a need that nobody else seems to be meeting. There is such a need in this country for people to rise up and love people full-time. You with me here this morning, full-time? Now you say, but I have my career path. I know this is what God wants me to do. But then be like uh, William Carey, when he was asked, what do you do for a living, Jesus? I preach the gospel and I cobble shoes to pay the bills. He was a full-time cover but that's not what defined him the love of christ defined him until he gave it all up and went as a missionary to, to india and the rest is history the love of christ brethren paul prayed for the believers to be strengthened with might by your spirit to be conscious of christ and to know god's love i pray that for us too may god Help us to be strong in him, conscious of him, and have his love burning in our lives. Because when that really happens, it will change us. And Ireland needs people who've been changed. Wouldn't you agree with that? May the love of God burn within our hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word.